0: that's hard to describe that's that's a feeling i've had a number of times since then of like when things have been hard or difficult or painful or there's been really painful personal growth of still having that sense of like even when this sucks it still feels more like me than monogamy did
2: Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy.
1: Welcome to episode 104.
2: Happy New Year.
1: We're Finn and Emma.
2: It's 2020.
1: Happy New Year to everyone. Today is the first year of a new decade, and I don't know, it's really exciting. I think
2: actually technically every new year is the start of a new decade. It's just true. not... It's just not the same. And
1: even, like, yeah. every 10 years. You're, yeah, you're totally right. But anyway, I don't hear that.
2: I'm going <laughs> to save that little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't tell you that you're right very often. Um, Today. 2020 will be a really fun year. We have a lot of things planned and hopes and dreams, and we're going to... Yeah, it's going to be cool. Anyway.
2: Yeah, and well, thank you to everybody for the last year who's helped and supported us and listened to the show and been a Patreon patron i guess it's a little yeah. redundant but yeah for any i mean for people who've come on the show for people who've emailed us for people who've just any way that came you came to our meet and greets meet and greets yeah anyone who's helped and supported us we appreciate all of the love and the support and we look forward to continuing on well into the next decade right
1: yeah yep
2: big plans
1: big plans thank you everyone and happy new year okay what do we got today
2: Today is an interview with one of the three hosts of the multi-amory podcast, Dedeker. She and uh, we we talked with her a couple, actually it's almost been a couple of months now. So yeah. they, were, they were very patient with us. So thank you to them. We interviewed one of her partners a few weeks back, uh, Jace, mm-hmm. and that interview is already out. So you can go check that one out as well. But it's just, it's a great story. She's got a lot of experience doing this. She shares a lot of her experiences with us. And it's super awesome conversation. So thank you to her and thank you to the rest of the multi amory crew for everything they do.
1: And a couple of quick announcements.
2: Yeah. Sorry, I'm gonna butt in again and be that rude guy. Okay. One one quick thing. She mentions she she talks about at the beginning of her journey, she was researching everything on Live Journal. <laughs> so I don't know if anybody remembers Live Journal. Probably there's a handful of people wondering what that even is. But nevertheless, we wanted to give a little more uh, 2020 <laughs> context re- resource. So we wanted to throw uh, the – it's kind of a blog Tumblr page called Poly Role Models. And it's run by a guy named Kevin Patterson. And he – we actually interviewed him in episode 45. And it is sort of the – written version of this show there's lots and lots of different contributors people sharing their stories and so it's a really great resource if you're looking to get more information and don't uh, have the ability to listen to it so go check that out support him and support the great work he does you will not be disappointed
1: no you will not okay another announcement we are still doing the holiday survey with one condoms, so go check it out on our website. You can go in the show notes, follow the link. It's we need everyone to complete it by January fifteenth. It's a super fun survey.
2: Yeah, it's there's really no. Uh, it's uh, not
1: serious. Is that what you're? Trying yeah, to say? there's
2: there's no yeah there's no real basis for it other than it was just some fun questions and. Just to help get community engagement and spread a little holiday joy. So, yeah, deadlines January 15th. Go do it. And if you do, you can get an additional 10% off your order at One Condoms or their custom fit, my One Condoms.
1: Yes. Next up, we have another fun resource. And we just want to quick mention that any resource that we mention on this show is something that we truly believe in and is important in our lives.
2: Including those custom fit condoms.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, we've tried those out too.
2: We try them out every day. <laughs> I, I wish <laughs> we do try them out though. Anyway, what were you talking about, Emma? Before I open my mouth.
1: Well, did you have anything else to say about resources that we mentioned?
2: No, we just appreciate everybody who uses the links, and hopefully people find them useful. If you have things that you find useful and think would would be great to share with people, send them our way. We'll check them out and then help promote them for people.
1: Yeah, exactly. So this new one. Beachbody.com. So Beachbody is an online streaming workout, basically, well, you stream your workouts online. They have over 1,100 their workouts online. And it is just a really awesome resource.
2: So think if you've ever heard of P90X, this is the company who who is the yeah. parent company of P90X. So P90X is one of the workouts you can get. And they have tons of different workouts from like anybody who's just getting started all the way up to p90x and shit that's way harder than p90x. Yeah, and so, they have lots
1: of like yoga and pilates dance stuff too. Yeah.
2: So it's it's super awesome. We started using it in 2013 and we've basically had their annual subscription since then. And I mean, we tried gyms all over where we lived and we just this was the only thing we found that we could do consistently. We didn't have to go to a gym. We could do it in 20 minutes a day or 25 minutes a day. And, I am mean, honestly, we had the best results we've ever gotten from something, and we thought that it's New Year, people might be interested, and even if you're not trying to lose weight or get in shape, you might just be looking for something to do this year, and that this could be that thing to help you feel better. Well,
1: and there's so much of a selection that you can choose what really fits you, and try out different things, too, because it's all included. So, you can... If you use the links on our website, it supports the show. And then you can get a whole year for $99, which is a lot less than your gym membership.
2: It's even cheaper than that Planet Fitness, which we tried. We, <laughs> yeah. we literally live next door to a Planet Fitness. And, and we had a Planet Fitness subscription and we never went to the no. fucking place. <laughs> so anyway, and, and honestly, that $99 is not like a promotional thing. It's, it's always $99 every year
1: access to Ye- year year after after their, year. So all anyway, of their
2: videos. We'll stop, we'll stop pitching it to you, but check it out if you're interested. I think there's a 14-day free trial. And if you use the links and sign up, we get eight dollars.
1: Thank you. So we appreciate <laughs> we
2: appreciate the eight dollars and uh enjoy your exercising.
1: Yeah. Bring a ring on ring in the new year. With bring some it, fun. Ring it on. Yeah, ring it on. I was gonna <laughs> say with some fun, new exercises. <laughs> And last announcement, we have scheduled our next Patreon Q&A for January. It will be January 22nd at 9 p.m. Eastern and 9 p.m. Pacific. If you're not sure what those are, every month we do a week or a weekly, and we do a live Q&A with all of our patrons. And if you want more information, go to our website and click on the Patreon link to see how you can join.
2: And there are links in the little show notes of your podcast player to take you over there, or you can go to normalizingnonmonogamy.com and find all of this information that we've talked about.
1: Yeah. So let's go talk to Dedeker.
2: Yep. Thanks for your time, everybody. We'll see you on the other side.
1: Well, welcome, Dedeker. We're so excited to have you today. <laughs> Yes, I'm super what? excited to be here.
2: I'm not, I'm not laughing at you. I'm <laughs> laughing with you. If we he's, all filled
0: laugh. with, he's filled with a divine cosmic giggle. <laughs> That's right. And this is,
2: I mean, we're on a, a world tour tonight because we talked to your partner, Jace, spoiler alert, yes. earlier tonight. <laughs> and he was in Japan and you're in singapore and we're in michigan so it's Mm -hmm. all over the world
0: Mm -hmm. it's
2: very 21st century today right exactly (laughs) exactly Mm
0: -hmm. well i
2: mean for anybody who doesn't know who dedeker is or maybe what multi Amory is do you mind a quick background on multi and then uh, uh maybe start introducing us to who you are
0: Yeah, definitely. So with Multiamory, we started this podcast, Multiamory, back in 2014. So we've been running the podcast for about five years now. And we initially started the podcast wanting it to be a resource specifically for people who are in non-monogamous relationships. Um, So we kind of started it as (laughs) our approach initially was was like, well, polyamorous people need a lot of special advice. And Um, They're in all these special situations and we need to speak to that. And to a certain extent, that is true. But over the course of the five years of doing the podcast, we slowly learned like, oh, no, there's just a lot of relationship advice in general that works regardless of what format of relationship that you're in. And so... Over the course of the five years i think the show has evolved into being more of a show that's just about like here's some solid research-backed relationship advice that also is inclusive uh, and adaptable if you have multiple partners or if you're Mm -hmm. not following just the very traditional monogamous path essentially And yeah, it's been a super amazing experience with Multiamory. Like we set out to just make this podcast and we weren't anticipating the community that has now sprung up around it. it has been just really fascinating and really amazing. We've gotten to meet these great people and it really showed us, and I'm sure you've seen the same thing with creating your own podcast. It really showed how desperate people are to hear these things and to talk about these things and to be represented. Yeah, for sure. And to find
2: a community that they relate to and that they can feel part of.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Well, how did did you get
2: involved in the non-monogamy realm of things? Or was it just like there was an opening for non-monogamous podcaster and you...
0: (laughs) I applied. I put in my CV and my resume. (laughs) I applied to the polyamory board of directors and they were very impressed with me. Um, No, it was, you know, awkward and weird and painful. Like a lot of people's experience is doing anything that's non-mainstream. Just to take it back all the way to the beginning, I was raised evangelical Christian, very conservative evangelical Christian. So pretty much most of my ideas around sex and romance and love and marriage were very much colored by that, you know, so that's to say pretty traditional, fairly sex negative, um, pretty vanilla, I would say. And that changed for me when I hit puberty, a couple years into puberty, and I was just starting to play around with adult relationships, not with adults, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you yeah. know, having the idea. A, yeah. The idea of like, ooh, we're boyfriend, girlfriend now. What is that like? You know, um, this very exploratory phase. And basically right away from my very, very first boyfriend, I we were in a relationship together for a few months. And then I found myself being attracted to someone else and getting a crush on someone else. And unfortunately at the time I interpreted that as, oh, there's something wrong with me because I mean, to think about it, everything that I got from my church and from Disney movies and everything told me that like, if you're really in love with someone, that doesn't happen. Right. You know, if you're really in love with someone, you don't feel the attraction you're not interested in someone else. And so I assumed, oh, I'm both feel very in love with my boyfriend. And I feel myself developing a crush on someone else. That must mean there's something broken in there. Like
1: your boyfriend is not the relationship that you thought it was or something like that.
0: Or something like that. Or does this mean I don't actually love him? I feel like I do. I mean, whatever my 14 year old definition of love was um, at the time, but, and that pattern repeated itself quite a lot through my teenage years and into my college years, my early twenties and things like that, where I never cheated on anybody. I just found myself wanting to all the time and really not knowing what to do with that information, you know, really internalizing myself as this really bad person. And so often if I was in a committed monogamous relationship and I found myself getting a crush on someone else, I would often, it would often cause a weird depression spiral with me because it would just remind me like, oh, right, I'm this weird broken person who can't Just love someone and be okay with that. Apparently this is something I was just, was not baked into my cake for some reason. And so either I would go into just this depression spiral because I couldn't act on it. And I felt like there was something wrong with me, or I would do what I think a lot of people do, what to a certain extent we're very socialized to do, which is break up with the person that I'm with and then start pursuing this new person, you know, Mm -hmm. doing the, the overlapping serial monogamy as it were. And for me, where things started to change was, um, after I graduated college and I was in my early twenties, the pattern was happening again, that I had been in a long-term happily monogamous relationship for a few years. I started developing a crush on someone that I worked with and, I just, I don't know. I just like hit, I just hit the bottom in some way where, where I realized the choices in front of me are either to go ahead and cheat, which I don't want to do. It's to break up with my boyfriend, which I don't want to do, or it's just do nothing and, and, uh, ride the wave of the inevitable depression spiral that I know is coming. And I was like, all of those options freaking suck. What am I going to do? And, um, I was, you know, venting to my best friend about this over the phone at the time. And he was the first person in my life who ever suggested the idea of an open relationship. And to be totally honest, I was like borderline offended that he suggested that (laughs) at the time because I was in my perception, I was like open relationships. is for like people who are slutty or sex addicted or like people who are not actually committed to their partner. Like that's not, you know, that's not me. How dare you? even suggest that I'm a person who would entertain that idea. However, I did immediately go home and start Googling <laughs> uh, because I was because I was just at my wits' end and um started just voraciously researching and reading and up at late hours in dark, forgotten corners of the internet on people's live journals, you know, and it um it was this huge turning point because that was when I first encountered this term polyamory and was reading about it and then seeing people sharing their personal experiences about it and just blown away by, wow, there's people actually doing this. And not only are they actually doing this, they're happy with it. Everyone seems to be happy about it. And it at the time felt, (laughs) I don't know, it was almost like I was like reading these transmissions from some sort of alien culture that I've never seen in my entire life. It was so new to me. But again, it was also this weird sense of like learning something that I couldn't unlearn anymore. Like I couldn't forget that I found that this thing existed and I started piecing together like, oh, oh my God, maybe this is what I felt my entire life and just didn't have the words for it. And so I pitched it to my boyfriend like I did everything short of making a PowerPoint presentation (laughs) of all my research and all my reading that I'd done and I pitched it to him um and it all went great, and we're still together today, and that's the end of the story.
2: Oh, yeah. Of course. Well, it was nice talking to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're great. Thank you. Um, please like and subscribe. Let me know in the comments how you feel. No, it went terrible. Um, it went terrible because I was, like, 23, and uh, so was he. And we didn't know how to communicate. We didn't even know what we wanted. We didn't even know what our purpose was in doing this. And so that relationship ended pretty quickly after opening up, maybe within six months or so.
2: But he was initially, he was willing to give it a try?
0: He was. Yeah, he was. He didn't shut it down. Um, I don't credit myself with having great powers of persuasion, but he didn't (laughs) shut it down. Um, So we did take a crack at it. And after it ended, I think a, a moment that really sticks out in my mind was myself realizing, like, wow, that felt really shitty. And I don't feel really good about how that went. But... I want to figure out how to do it better next time. That for me, it wasn't like, oof, never touching that non-monogamy thing again. That was a mistake. Um, that right. it was like, okay, yeah, that sucked. That was really painful. But I know that this is still the better choice for me, even when it sucked. Yeah. And right. that's hard to describe. That's a, That's a feeling I've had a number of times since then of like when things have been hard or difficult or painful, or there's been really painful personal growth of still having that sense of like... Even when this sucks, it still feels more like me than monogamy did.
2: Right. Um, Do Do you mind like just elaborating slightly on like what were some of the the mistake like the early mistakes that the two of you made that you you were like you know that was probably something we we could course correct as we as we grow into this because I think that could be useful to people who are at that point now.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So a couple of things. I think when at my, you know, my very first crack at this, I came to it with a lot of, I suppose, assumptions about how it's supposed to go. And those assumptions were both informed by just the culture that I grew up in of what I just assumed to be logical about how relationships in general go, combined with the fact that the reading I was doing you know, back then there weren't nearly as many resources about non-monogamy as there are now, you know, it was really a very limited pool. And so I was pretty limited to like, well, these people did it this way. I guess that's the way you do it. You know? And I, I didn't, um, at the time didn't get a sense of, oh, this can be very tailorable and craftable and we have options here and it doesn't have to look a particular way. And so I think that was probably pretty stifling to a certain extent. I mean, I made a lot of the assumptions of like, oh yeah, like, of course we do a primary secondary thing. That's just, that's just logical. That's just what you do. Oh, of course we don't invite anyone over to our house. Like, oh, of course we don't like meet each other's partners. Like, oh, that's just logical. You just wouldn't do that. You know, carrying in a lot of this baggage, I think from more, you know, maybe toxic monogamous culture or from toxic dating culture. That to me at the time was like that just makes logical sense. Yeah. When yeah. it didn't, it was like this was just the operating instructions that I received from right. my upbringing. Um, so I think there were a lot of things there that definitely hampered us. Um, for me, honestly, I had not a very good relationship with just communication in general or being vulnerable or being honest. And that was across the board. That was not even related to sex and relationships. I was just a very reserved person and very buttoned down and, and didn't really like sharing vulnerably and didn't really like, um, you know, just never really wore my heart on my sleeve or anything like that. And so to suddenly thrust myself into this situation where it's like, oh, the only way this works is if you're being 100% honest, I found myself in this bind of like, but I don't know how, (laughs) Um, like, I really don't know how to do that. I don't know how to communicate, honestly, you know, not to say that I was lying a bunch, but it was more of like, I just don't even know how to get myself to a place of feeling comfortable, being honest with my partner or being safe about that. Um, Right. So I think that was definitely an issue as well.
2: When I would I would even imagine at that point, like being that new to it, that it wasn't even that you didn't know how to train, like how to communicate it. Like you may not have even known what it was you wanted, right? I mean, that's something that mm-hmm. even t- we struggle with, right? And been doing some form of non monogamy for over a decade ourselves, and it's like we still look at each other like, well, I don't know what exactly mm-hmm. we want sometimes. And I mean, being in the the early stages of that, I think that's super common.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I, and I think that is a bind that I've seen a lot of people get into, especially now that I've been working with clients for the past number of years and especially working with a lot of people who are very new in their non-monogamy journey is this double bind of it's super important to be very explicit about what you want and be very honest about what you want. But often you're in a position where it's like, well, I've never experienced any of these things before. I don't know what I want. I can only Mm -hmm. speculate. And it is that difficult balancing act of like, how do I move forward and experiment and explore and figure out while still also being totally honest while still also making sure my partner doesn't feel like they're just getting jerked around by my, Wants and desires changing all the time. That yeah, it's definitely it's not easy for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So after that relationship didn't really work out, how did you? What did I guess? What next steps did you take?
0: My next steps. Well, I moved out. First (laughs) check. (laughs) That was that was also my first cohabiting relationship as well. So there was a lot of lessons learned in that arena, even separate from the non-monogamy thing. I moved out and I started dating. And I think for me, it was you know, kind of this weird thing of it being the first time that I was really doing, stepping into the very traditional dating scene. Um, because I think, you know, that relationship that had just ended, I met him in college where it was, you know, the way you meet people in college, which is like, we're in a class together. And so that's how we, you know, it wasn't like we're on apps together on dating sites together, you know, navigating all this stuff. So dove into that world. And at the beginning, I struggled with, being very afraid of rejection um it is this kind of funny thing that like when i was in my early to mid 20s that i you know be getting ready for a first date and all my anxieties would be like oh god like I really hope he likes me I hope that he's not disappointed in me I hope that he wants to be with me and now when I go on dates I'm just like I hope I don't dislike this person too much (laughs) (laughs) I hope I I like this person at the end of the evening I hope they're not too disappointing which is kind of funny um but you know I really struggled a lot with rejection and so of course I I really struggled with do I disclose that I want to be non-monogamous or that I want polyamory or that i want to be sexually open like do i disclose that do i not do i wait a few dates in to disclose that do i and so that was kind of the second proving ground for me of this trial and error period of a couple years um of figuring out how do i talk to people about this am i sure that i want this because also at the same time of course i would meet a lot of people in the dating scene who would be like oh this is just a phase like oh you just need to have your slutty phase go bang a bunch of people and then you'll be okay or some people who are like oh it's because your dad died when you were six it's probably why and you know all kinds of fantastic theories that were shitty but at the same time it still got into my head of like maybe that's true like maybe this is just a phase maybe i do just need to fuck you know a certain number of people and then I'll be okay or maybe this is ridiculous for me to even want in the first place um and uh so I did that for a couple years I did take like my very last official stab at monogamy kind of in the middle of that period where I met this gorgeous man oh god this like super <laughs> gorgeous man who just like swept me off my feet and I was so attracted to him and he was so attracted to me and we just immediately like fell really hard for each other and of course like I I tried to talk about the non-monogamy thing with him but he was like really not having it and I kind of posed to myself I was like okay this is going to be my last crack at monogamy because under these conditions of where we're just, like, so madly in love with each other, this is what everyone's been telling me is, like, the thing that I should be waiting for that's going to make monogamy easy, if anything. You know, that is, like, these are the conditions under which monogamy should feel the best. Right, right. right.
2: You got your yeah. Prince Charming, right? So I should... got
0: my Prince Charming, yes. Um. And so I was like, okay, fine. This, this is going to be it. I'm going to gonna give it a try, another try. And, and, yeah, within just a few months, I was like, this is still not me. This is still so not me, even though I was still... Head over heels with this guy, and you know, I thought the relationship was heading in a really great direction. I still knew it was just like, oh, this is I just I can't like I can't do this. And so that was really difficult. Like I ended that relationship while still in NRE, you know, yeah. like that was the really difficult part. It's like while still really in love with this person, ended that relationship because there was a part of me that was just like, I know this is not gonna go well. Like I know that uh, this this yeah the wrong way somewhere deep down in there Um, yeah
1: that is tough uh, yeah
0: yeah yeah I um I think something a lot of people struggle with is that when someone's clearly bad for you there's a certain part where it's easy to walk away from that or it's easy to say no to that like you see red flags or there's incompatibilities and, and that's easy it's a lot harder when someone is good for you but not great for you yeah. You know, like sometimes on the pathway to finding the great choice for you, you do have to end up saying no to a lot of good choices. And I think that's where a lot of people get in the weeds about relationships sometimes.
2: Yeah. Well, and and, and not even because of your own internal monologue, but the external pressures of people who see that and they're like, you're breaking up with him. Why would you break up with him? It was perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, OK, fine. He's not he doesn't you know wash the dishes but what you know whatever the excuse yeah. is and it's yes. so you're dealing you're battling your own internal demon and then you've got the external people trying to convince you that you shouldn't be giving up on prince charming oh
0: yeah 100 percent, 100 um but after that experience i finally buttoned down and i was finally like okay I'm just going to start taking ownership of this. Like I'm going to put it on my dating profiles, like I'm polyamorous. And if you don't know what that is, like you can go here or here's my you know, elevator pitch version of what that means to me. And this is what I'm looking for. And I finally bit the bullet and was just like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm looking for. This is who I am. And there was a big shift when that happened. And again, it wasn't necessarily a perfect transition. There were certainly some hiccups, but at least when I look back on my own life, I see that as another turning point where, suddenly surprise surprise when i suddenly took ownership of who i was and what i wanted then i found people who wanted the same thing you know yeah Yeah. um and that was when I finally started getting into relationships with people who weren't just rejecting me out of hand for wanting to be non-monogamous people who also identified as polyamorous or non-monogamous. And that was when I finally started to get some actual traction of, okay, here's some like actual real world experience of like dating people who are non-monogamous and what that looks like, what that feels like, what are the best ways of doing that, that work for me as it were. Mm -hmm. Wow. I do feel, I do feel, I feel very lucky in the sense of going through that journey, I do think I got to essentially sample a lot of different flavors of yeah. non-monogamy, which is great because I, you know, because I did kind of start out in this, what is like don't ask, don't tell kind of open relationship non-monogamy feel like, okay, okay, what does non-monogamy, that's more just about like swinging and play parties and more like emotional monogamy, but sexual non-monogamy, what does that feel like? Okay, there's that. Okay, what does kind of like parallel polyamory feel like where I'm developing multiple meaningful relationships, but maybe there's a lot of separation between those relationships and some compartmentalization. Like, okay, that's what that feels like. What does polyamory with really strict hierarchy look like? Like really strict primary secondary hierarchy look like, okay, that's what that looks like. What does polyamory feel like when there's not so much hierarchy? What does relationship anarchy feel like? And so I do feel even though like all of those had their foibles and pros and cons and things like mm-hmm. that I do feel very happy and satisfied with the fact that that I've gotten to experience a lot of different flavors yeah of that. well
1: yeah. and and like your journey of figuring that all out and eventually becoming like being open about who you really were it wouldn't have looked the same if you had tried that in the very beginning because like you didn't know oh, yeah. that in the very beginning right so yeah. it's like it, it, it sometimes the journey is it's tough, but you have to do it. Like you need to yeah, take that yes. time and let yourself go through those stages.
0: Yes, one hundred percent. So what? What has? Where
2: have you sort of settled at the moment? And and keeping in mind, right that it, you know you're not necessarily at the end of your journey, right? That it could change mm-hmm. in, a, in a month or two months or whatever. Yeah, that's a,
0: a like, really exciting and scary thing when I think yeah, about it. For I'm sure. like, oh, geez, if there's this much change in the last 10 years, I'm like, where am I going to be 10 years from now? Who knows? <laughs>
2: you're going to be monogamous. I know.
0: <laughs> I'm going to circle right back around to being like yep. monogamous evangelical Christian. You know, be, my mother will be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so...
2: So where, where where are you, I guess, today in terms of, like,
0: mm-hmm. what is
2: what, what did you find works best for you at the moment?
0: Mm, yeah, so where I've been for the past few years is, oh, gosh. Uh, if I was going to append labels to it. Um, I know, it's always prob- tricky, right? <laughs> I know, <laughs> it's always tricky. I kind of got to go through the mental Rolodex of labels. But the label I put on it today is... Uh, what am I feeling like today? Maybe we'll call it non-hierarchical solo polyamory. Sure, let's call it that. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that looks in real life is so I have two partners, um, my partner, and my partner, Alex, um, who... Uh, uh, God, I I don't know. I love them both. (laughs) They're both very important relationships to me. I spend part of the year living with Jace and I spend part of the year living with Alex. And if I played my cards right, I spend part of the year living by myself. Um, sometimes that doesn't always happen, but, uh, that's kind of where things are now. I don't really practice any kind of specific hierarchy other than the sense that it's like, to me, Jace and Alex both occupy kind of this primary sphere i suppose although i don't i don't call them my primaries or anything like that but if you want a quick you know kind of a shorthand description of this quote-unquote seriousness of those relationships that's how they feel to me um but i don't um like between the those two partners i don't necessarily put the money in kind of like ranking system or yeah. things like that yeah. um it, the polyamory that i practice these days is a little bit Weird in the sense that I, um, I think like yourselves also live a fairly nomadic existence that since my work is remote, I move around a lot. So I don't even have a permanent residence necessarily. I don't even have an apartment. Um, so I'll spend a couple months out of the year living in Japan and then a couple months out of the year living in Singapore, then a couple months out of the year living in California. And so that sets up some interesting situations in the sense that often throughout the year, for at least for part of the year, one of my relationships is long distance, yeah. you know, um, because Alex lives in Singapore and then Jace lives on the West coast. And sometimes Jace travels with me to Japan. Sometimes Alex travels with me to Japan. Um, so it's all fairly nomadic in that sense. Um, but it does make things a little bit different where it's like when I'm living with Jace or when I'm living with Alex, it's like from the outside, it looks functionally monogamous, you know? Um, because it is like, well, I'm here in Singapore for three or four months and I don't feel particularly inclined to like date people or hook up with people necessarily. And so functionally looks monogamous except for the fact that I'm still having Skype dates with Jace and, you know, still talking like, you know, maybe talking about dates that people are going on and things like that. And so it's, (laughs) Like the way that I've come to think of it is, you know, back in the days when I was less nomadic, when I was like living in LA and it would be like, okay, like I'll spend a couple days of the week with partner A and then a couple days of the week with partner B, that instead it's almost like that time is defragged to, right. <laughs> to be like these big chunks of time together that kind of alternate in that way so yeah so that's kind of the life that i'm living right now um all of us like myself and alex and jace like you know do like date other people um for me i'm not really like dating very heavily right now um because i've got a pretty full plate between two partners and work and projects and stuff like that um but that's uh I, I guess that's generally what's going on right now. I use the term solo polyamory because I think that the term solo polyamory has come to mean not seeking to be part of a couple or not seeking to to like have like a primary relationship or something right. something like that, which mm-hmm. is kind of true in my in my case and then also kind of not true. So I don't know if I qualify honestly. Um mm-hmm. the solo polyamory coalition may get angry at me for using that label. I don't
2: yeah. know. We well as we're not on the board of directors so we Mm, we can't we can't rule on this but
1: it makes sense to me (laughs) we'll allow it yeah (laughs) so as as you've traveled around how how have you i know you say you have like currently you're not dating very much but Mm -hmm. how have you navigated you know polyamory throughout different cultures
0: oh goodness yeah um yeah so i started officially started being more, you know, location independent or nomadic in, gosh, what was it? August of 2015. So about four years ago. And when I first started traveling, I was both just traveling, like moving a lot more and also dating a lot more. And because it was fascinating to me, not only how people in different cultures respond to non-monogamy, but also just what dating culture is like in general in these different cultures. You know, my experience of being on Tinder in Greece was vastly different from my experience of being on Tinder in Turkey, for instance, which is vastly experienced from the experience of being on Tinder in Japan. Um, So that in itself, I could write a dissertation about, I feel just those cultural differences of, of dating culture in general, but yeah, with a non-monogamy thing, um, it's a, It's sometimes hard to feel out. See, the funny thing is that when I would get to a new country or a new culture, I do find that it's easier to start with finding, like, where are the swingers, essentially? That's the first place to go is, like, because there's definitely, there's going to be some swingers somewhere, like, they're, they're going to be out there. And I think on dating apps, they're sometimes a little bit easier to find because they're usually a little bit more explicit in like, what they're looking for and why they're there and stuff like that. And so if I can find where the swingers are, usually I can kind of follow the trail of breadcrumbs to where the, <laughs> the other non-monogamous folks are. <laughs> Um, or sometimes in other cultures, it's if I can find where the LGBT community is, then mm-hmm. I can follow the trail of breadcrumbs to find, you know, where they overlap with the king community or the non-monogamous community or stuff like that. Um yeah. it is interesting. So I spend a lot of my time in Japan and there like the the Japanese community is really interesting because the Japanese non-monogamy community is still pretty small. And because it's still relatively small, I feel like it's a little bit more bonded to the LGBT community there, which is still relatively small as well. So there's a little more overlap in those circles than maybe there is in the States, um, which is vastly different from being here in Singapore, where homosexuality is still illegal, technically. And yeah. so finding the LGBT community is a little bit harder. It does exist. Um but finding it's a little bit harder. Um, It's actually been a little bit easier in Singapore to kind of find the swingers community and again, kind of keep doing the sleuthing from there to find the non-monogamous community. But Mm. it does influence things because for instance, my partner, Alex, who lives here in Singapore, it is usually just a lot harder for him to date because it's a much more conservative, button down country around those things. There isn't quite the thriving like polyamory meetup community or discussion groups seen as there is in a lot of like you know cities on the west coast for instance
2: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. have have you explored i mean it sounded like as part of your journey you you did dabble or at least look into the swinging communities Mm -hmm. have you have you continued to do that some or have you largely Mm -hmm. decided that polyamory is a better a better fit
0: yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean I didn't make any hard and fast decisions that I recall. <laughs> anyway, um, the board not of directors were swinging the uh-huh. vote yeah, you Yeah. <laughs> no. No. They haven't. They haven't revoked my membership yet. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I did have a period of a few years where that was the primary form of non-monogamy that I practiced. Was you know having a few partners, but mostly it was having kind of one primary partner. Where we're emotionally monogamous, and we're the ones who go to like swinging parties and play parties and stuff together. And I had a lot of fun in that scene. Had a lot of fun at play parties. You know, really enjoyed that. Um, and uh, but it never became a thing of of what? Gosh, what is it? What did it feel like? It felt like cool, like I went to this, this country and I experienced this new culture, but, and I'm glad that I experienced it, but I don't necessarily want to move there, I guess, has kind of been my feeling. And so since then, you know, I'll still go to the occasional play party. I'll be honest. I think that when I go to play parties these days, I get much more satisfaction out of just being in a sex positive space more so than what actually happens with myself and my body in that space. Um, Oh yeah. I
1: can totally agree to that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I just still really enjoy being able to be around people who, who can talk honestly about sex or where I can just be honest about having multiple partners or just be honest about having a sex drive at all. Um, (laughs) Like (laughs) it's something really nice. And I think life-sustaining out of being in spaces like that. But I tend to not necessarily seek out um, the play party scene very proactively these days.
2: Yeah. No, it's just, it's just fascinating because we, you know, oftentimes you hear this harsh, like, well, we're swingers, we don't do poly. Or you mm-hmm. on the flip side, mm-hmm. you hear the, well, we're polyamorous, we don't do that swinging thing. And so it's it's refreshing to hear. And this is something that we know, having interviewed 85 plus people that the line isn't as Hmm. cut Mm -hmm. and dry as people want to make it seem.
0: Yeah. So we appreciate you speaking to that a little bit that it's. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it reminds me of a few years ago we had, um, on multi-amory, we interviewed, um, Cooper S Beckett, who runs the swing set network. Um, you know, he was on to talk about his latest book is when he put out his life on the swing set book. Um, but, yeah, I think he, he called that out that, you know, we can get stuck in the weeds of talking about, like, is there a difference? Are there these harsh lines? Do you have to kind of commit to one or the other? When it's like, no, there's a lot of overlap. There's swingers who practice some form of polyamory, whether they call it that or not. And then there's polyamorous people who practice some forms of swinging, whether they call it that or not. It's, you know, it's really not something that maybe needs to be worried about as much as we like to worry about it but i don't know yes. as human beings we love black and white things and we love yeah. things being clear we love knowing just what the freaking rules are right and who's right, right. and who's wrong so yep. so sure. it's understandable why that's immediately where people go to
1: yeah well and i almost feel like some people i mean just in general are they're almost scared of the other one like they identify as mm. one that's the one they like that feels comfortable at least in like even if they're exploring it and that they're almost scared of the other one. And I, hmm. um, I don't, or maybe it's just because it's more unknown to them
0: Yeah, that, oh, that, yeah. that maybe that's what it is, but, yeah, yeah. um, yeah, it's just interesting. percent. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I don't know. I, I haven't proactively sought out like a play party or a swinger space in quite a while. Um, on, <laughs> to be totally honest, geez, this is going maybe going to sound terrible, but maybe the two of you can relate to this, that when you're creating content about this all the time, sometimes you just want to break. <laughs> um, like, yeah, yeah. I need to go to church. <laughs> yes, sometimes I'm like, I just want to go like talk about video games or something like I don't know if I want to, you know, I, I like my work hours have ended and I just need to not think about these things for a little while. Whereas I think for a lot of people going to a play party or a space like that, it's like this is where I get to leave behind yeah, it's my escape. facade. It's my escape. Yes. Mm-hmm. And for me, sometimes, sometimes it's like, Oh, I feel like I'm just going to overanalyze things and be thinking about too much. And then start thinking about like the sociopolitical implications of like who it is. That is that at this party or isn't at this party. And then I'm just like, I just need to, I'm not going to be good company at this party. <laughs> <laughs> How you did... <laughs>
2: uh. Yeah, I can. I can.
1: Were you gonna make a joke and then?
2: <laughs> well, I was gonna say like, how did you curate this guest list? What was what was your <laughs> yeah about? right
0: yeah 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 yeah? How did this community come to be? Who are your community organizers? Like yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Well,
2: I was I was just curious, and this maybe is a short. Well, it's probably not a short answer, but who, which country have you been in that has the best Tinder?
0: Oh, the best Tinder or best. I was like, do it doesn't have to be a best? Tinder.
2: I'm just like where you've had like the best Tinder experience or maybe like the most interesting or fascinating. Sure. Whatever. Okay.
0: You... Yeah. We'll go with interesting and fascinating um, because my experiencing using, using Tinder and dating apps specifically in Japan has been really interesting. And there's so much of Japan and Japanese culture that is just so very different from Western culture and what we're used to. And so that in itself is, is wonderful and, and fascinating, but When I first fired up Tinder in Japan, I was surprised by a number of things. One of them being (laughs) the thing, okay, I haven't been on Tinder in Japan in at least a year. So maybe there's been a major change or a major culture shift or something. But provided there hasn't been, the thing that surprised me the most is that on most people's profiles, they'll put one picture of themselves and then five pictures of their hobbies that they are not in. So as in (laughs) you get one picture of the person and then a picture of that they took during their last vacation in Bali of the beach, but they're not in it. A picture of their dog, a picture of like a bowl of ramen because they love ramen. And then maybe a picture of some beers and then maybe a picture of like the last place they went skiing. But it's not a picture that they're in. Um, And like everybody does that. Like everybody does that. It's like this weird thing of... Of this emphasis not necessarily being on I need to show you all my different good angles. I just need to show you, yeah, this is me and these are all the things that I guess we're gonna talk about on our first date or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. And that's also my experience mostly swiping through men. I think the experience of swiping through women is a little bit different. Um, Mm -hmm. but that was really fascinating and sometimes frustrating too, where I'm just like, I just wanna see like a non- blurry grainy photo of you i don't like you can tell me that you like ramen i don't need to see a picture of the ramen um, <laughs> yeah. so, it's just so it's
2: yeah. so funny that that like you have to wonder like did one person do that and then somebody else was like oh that's how you do it and it was just mm-hmm.
1: like yeah it just
2: grew from there yeah, or
1: just people i don't know that's what they did like that was the first thing they thought of like in the,
0: i don't know i don't yeah. know there's there's also in japan there's still I think a lot more stigma and fear around being, uh, like openly showing your face on a dating app. They're yeah. Still, yeah.
2: For sure. Like, oh,
0: yeah. like I think we used to see more, maybe five or ten years ago yeah. in the states, maybe even older. Um. So there's still that. So I understand that also being the product of people not necessarily wanting to post six different pictures of them where they're super identifiable necessarily. Um. Right. But that's even even if they're not. I understand that if you're on Tinder, like wanting to be really explicit about the kind of sex that you're looking for but even people who are just looking to date or find friends like still do that so there's that um other thing that was a pleasant surprise is people are so much more polite yeah oh my goodness men are just so much more polite um at least again to throw in more caveats that's my experience of interacting with japanese men in japanese um and in general i think japanese culture they definitely have their own issues and there's definitely a dark side there, especially when it comes to sexuality, but at least upon first impression, everyone's going to be much more polite to you Mm -hmm. than I think Americans will be. And also a lot more positive. Um, What people write in their profiles tend to be a lot more positive and a lot more playful and a lot more nice and a lot more like, Oh my God, like, thank you for swiping on me. I'm so excited to get to know you. Like I really hope that we can become friends as opposed to, I think in the States, In a lot of Western culture, we all feel this pressure of like, I got to be really witty or really funny or I got to kind of put up my defenses from the get go of like, well, I'm not looking for this or don't swipe on me if you want this or whatever versus my overall impression of Japanese Tinder was people just like a lot more polite up front and oh, yeah. seemingly a lot more warm up front now that being said i definitely had some experiences where people kind of turned into weirdos later <laughs> on um, but that doesn't but, happen
2: in the u.s I'm...
0: no 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 never <laughs> okay. uh, so yeah so that's um yeah i would say that that at least within my body of experience that's been the most fascinatingly different kind of dating culture experience that i've stepped into
1: yeah huh. very cool that's fun. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: how have you navigated, I guess, you know, coming out to family and friends mostly like, cause you, you know, you went through the whole different of all the different stages and were you honest with family and friends at the, be- at the beginning or did they notice any changes or kind of how did that evolve?
0: Um, yeah, no, I definitely, I wasn't out for quite a while, I didn't feel necessarily the impulse to be out until I had gotten to a point where um, I had two partners, both of whom the relationship was developing into something that felt very serious, felt very deep, felt very meaningful. And my mom was coming down to L.A. to stay for a few days. And I realized both of these relationships are at a point where I would want to introduce both of these people to my mom. Like That's how it feels. It feels weird to have my mom come down and then for me to be like, uh, I guess I'll just pick one of you. To either, either I have to pick neither of you and pretend I'm like not seeing anyone seriously, even though these relationships are very important to me, or I have to pick just one of you to act as the beard, <laughs> as it were, right. of looking right. like my monogamous boyfriend. And I realized, oof, like I really don't want to do that. And so I made the decision to come out to my mom just at first to start there. And... So maybe a week or so before she was supposed to come down, I talked on the phone with her and it did not go well from the outset. It was a really difficult conversation. There was, I mean, there was a lot of stakes in that conversation because first of all, I already before that point didn't really talk to my mom about relationship stuff in general, much less sex stuff or things like that. So there was already not much of a channel of communication there combined with opening up to my mom about non-monogamy meant that ergo I would have to open up about the fact that I'm not a practicing Christian anymore and so I ended up having this coming out conversation that was not only coming out about having multiple partners but was also coming out about not identifying as a Christian anymore and so that was a rough conversation um
1: yeah and especially over the
0: phone Yes. Yeah. Um, I think I'm trying to remember if we did it over Skype or not. I, I don't remember. Yeah. I probably blocked it out. I don't know, but, <laughs> but it wasn't uh, in person. Is the point. It wasn't in person. No, it yeah. wasn't in person. And it was also the kind of thing where I headed into it feeling, you know, having pumped myself up and being like, I'm going to be very confident and I know what I'm going to say. And, and then, as soon as my mom starts crying, then I start crying because it's like, well, your mom's crying. And so you cry, I guess that's the thing I have, but, um, yeah. you know, and so then it's really hard to be like, Oh, I'm really happy mom. I promise I'm really happy. <laughs> you know? and, um, although the good thing in that conversation was actually probably the, the, there was kind of a stroke of luck in that she got interrupted by a phone call that she had to take. Like it was like from the doctor's office or something like that. And so we had to stop in the middle of that conversation so she could take this phone call. We, you know, we're not talking for about 10 or 15 minutes or so. I took that time. I just like sat, like I meditated. Um, And then we came back to the conversation and it was like a whole new conversation after we came back to it. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it was for me just getting to kind of sit down and chill out and for my mom getting something to take her mind off of it. But then we could come back to the conversation in a way that was much more calm and much less emotional. And the thing that I do remember from that conversation is she expressed to me this isn't what I would have wanted for you. You know, what I would have wanted for you is for you to be with one person who takes care of you and is there for you and is stable and you feel safe and secure. And me telling her, you know, I, I have those things. I think it's just in a different format than what you were expecting. Cause like yeah. I feel stable and I feel safe and I feel secure and I feel cared for. It's just not with one person, you know? Um, and so she came down to visit, and it was also really important for her, I think, to get to meet people in person to see mm-hmm. that, oh, he's not just like some weird trashy dudes trying to take advantage of my daughter, um, that he's actually really nice, charming people. And so since then with my mom, oh gosh, I, I mean... I I think that she's someone, she's not going to be the first person to stand up and defend non-monogamy or wave the banner of non-monogamy, but she is still going to defend me. And I think that's the most important thing at the end of the day is, is it's not like she kicked me out or disowned me or anything like that. I think she still feels weird and hesitant and not sure. And maybe not, not totally understanding, but she's still on my side at the end of the day. Um, And so that's important. So Anyway, so I did that, and then I was like, well, I'm not going to come out to anyone else in my family because that was rough. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was like, okay, maybe I'll tackle the next conversation in 10 more years or something like that. Um, but uh, that's not, unfortunately, that's not how it went. Um, you know, I came out to my mom, and then a number of years later, I ended up coming out to my sister and very slowly to the rest of my family. This kind of started to coincide with as my career change to when I entered into a credentialing program to start doing relationship coaching and I started working on writing the book and I started working on writing the podcast and all of these things were starting to become just slightly more and more public and more open and just from a logistical standpoint it wasn't making sense anymore to constantly dodge talking about what I do for a living because that has become the tricky thing is like now my identity and my sexuality and my relationship practice are so entwined with what I do for a living, which is both a blessing and a curse to mm-hmm. a certain extent, like a blessing in the sense that I'm I'm so privileged that that's the case, that I can be open in my professional life. Also a curse in the sense that at cocktail parties i can't get away with just saying what i do and then that's the extent of like the personal information that gets shared and you can't go to
2: swinger parties anymore because they feel like work
0: yeah exactly (laughs) exactly arguably the worst part
2: (laughs) they don't tell you that on the first day of class Mm -mm,
0: mm -mm, mm -mm.
2: (laughs) wasn't in the brochure
0: (laughs) no no so it is i mean i don't know it is kind of a weird thing with family where I I wouldn't call my family. Well, first of all, I wouldn't hold up my family as a monolith because each person has very, very different opinions and a very different way that they've they've taken this and a very different way they handle me. But if I'm going to hold up my family as a monolith, I wouldn't necessarily call them a super affirming family. Um, but also not a very rejecting family. I think I'd mostly call them just a very confused family. <laughs> <really>. <laughs> <laughs> like, mostly just kind of like, okay, yeah, we love you and we trust that you're happy and that you're doing okay. We don't really know how to talk about it or ask you about it, but we trust that you know what you're doing. So I guess that's good enough. Um, so I guess I, that's, you I know, yeah, it could be I worse. Guess, right? It could
1: be worse. It yeah. could be worse, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: that's funny. Well, I- <laughs> yeah. I was curious if if you have maybe like what over the f- past few years or over your time exploring this like what has become like your favorite thing about exploring non monogamy like when when hmm. somebody's like well why do you do that like what what's your like well because this part is so amazing
0: hmm wow just one huh well you can choose fine <laughs> two <laughs> you can have two okay. as well yeah for me, the, the memories and the moments that like stay in my heart and, you know, produce the most warm fuzzies and feelings of like acceptance and closeness and happiness are, I have memories of, you know, multiple memories of, let's say going to a party at a friend's house and my partner is there. My other partner's there. My other partner's other partner is there. My ex is there with their new partner and their other partner. And like my other partner's ex is there also. And, and also like our friends and people who've been comments or people that we've hooked up with and stuff like that. And it's all just like, cool. You, you know, like, it's not this whole awful drama fest. It's not this huge nightmare. It's just like, okay, it's cool. Like we're all we're all on the same team, we're all in the same community, we're all kind of in the same tribe, if you will. And mm-hmm. those moments, whether it's like at a big gathering like that, or even just kind of a small gathering of it, like it's me and my partner and and my metamore, or it's me and both my partners, or something like that, that those moments feel there's something about those moments that really strike me to the core. And It's surprising for me because I'm very much an introvert. I'm someone who really thrives on alone time. I'm, you know, even possibly a little bit misanthropic if I'm being totally honest. Um, And so for me to enjoy being around people and larger groups of people is very rare. But this experience of stepping into a group of people where I feel very personally like intimate and close with each person, even if we're not romantically or sexually intimate, even if our intimacy is because we are ex-partners or even because our intimacy is because we have a partner in common, you know, we're metamorphs. that there's something just really nice about that. And when I think about it, it's a very rare thing. I think in this day and age, um, yeah. it's, it's like maybe what it would feel like to, to have like family without a lot of terrible baggage, I guess, (laughs) Um, you know? And so it's those moments of stepping into chosen family that I just love the most. I love it the most. It's this, and again, like I said, it's this weird thing for me that for most of my life, I've, I prefer, I prefer either solitude or very small groups of people or kind of just being in my own little cave. And so these moments of, feeling so unconditionally like accepted and loved and cared for by multiple people, not just my romantic partners, but just other people who are close to me. Like that's like, that's the shit I live for essentially. Like, I love it. There's, and there's so many other things that of course I absolutely love about living this way, but it's like those moments that feel so good. That just feel so freaking good. That feel the closest to how I feel this is maybe a little bit speculative, but it it seems like it's approaching the way that, that maybe as humans we were supposed to evolve within our communities, within our tight-knit little groups of, you know, 50 to 200 people that you would have lived with your entire life from the day that you were born until the day that you died and developing these intimate relationships, sexual or not, with a variety of people. And those are the people who are around you all the time that I suspect maybe that's what that felt like as opposed to our day-to-day life now where it's like yeah I have my little tiny group of people at home whether that's just my partner or just my immediate family and then I have to go to work around these people that I'm not that close to or not that intimate with and ride on the bus with all these total strangers and like maybe that's a little bit more foreign to the human experience than the experience of spending all your time around all these people you would have had this history with and this, this mutual care for. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And so when you, when you step into that space, you just, you feel at ease and at home, even if it's bigger than your normal preferred crowd size. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Surprisingly for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's amazing.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How have you handled Uh, safety, both sexually and for your physical safety, as you navigate non-monogamy, especially traveling too, as a Mm, um, as mm -hmm. a solo woman.
0: Yeah, let's see. Um, sexual safety. Uh, I mean, for myself right now, I've found it easiest. My philosophy has mostly been about um, kind of personal boundaries and kind of taking care of my own safety, taking responsibility for my own safety. So what that means for me is like, I make the choice to use condoms with everybody that I sleep Mm -hmm. with. It doesn't matter if we've been together 10 years or two weeks or whatever, like still choose to use condoms. Um, Mm -hmm. And also just being really honest with people about everyone's different level of acceptable risk, you know? Yeah. And so just being really explicit with people of like, I have, you know, I use protection for these kind of sex acts. I I don't use protection for these kind of sex acts, you know, stuff like that. Um, and I've, I've just found that to be the easiest personally. I mean, I've been in situations in the past where we've had to navigate like, okay, well, maybe... So with partner A, if we decide to forego having condoms, then that means that when they're with their partner, they should have condom velvet. But then if they come up with some kind of SDI issue with their like third partner, then we gotta report back to me. And then what you know, like I found that the more that I've tried to outsource my safety to other people, essentially yeah. by practicing like, okay, well, I'm gonna fluid bond, so that means everyone else around me has to be mm-hmm. super safe. It's like that works for some people, but I found for me it just adds a lot more stress and having to like keep tabs on a lot more people, I would rather just keep tabs on myself, Yeah, you know, and just know, I know that I'm taking the choices to have safe sex and for, for me, you know, to protect myself. And what that's meant practically over the past few years is that if there has been an issue of like, oh, my partner had sex with someone and the condom broke, or, oh, my partner, um, like a partner did have unprotected sex with someone that it doesn't change what I do at all. Yeah. Like there's, there doesn't have to be this grinding halt of like, Oh gosh, well, we've all got to get tested and you got to talk to that person into that person's other partner. And Oh gosh, we got to add this. And then, and I also need to be mad at you about, you know, violating some kind of rule we had set up. It's like, it's like, Oh, okay. Thank you for letting me know. But like, it literally doesn't change anything about how right. I have sex with you. Cause I'm still going to use the same protective measures. So I found that that's been the easiest for me. Um, so That's where I am on the safe sex front as far as like dating in other countries. Um, gosh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I, it's been, like I said, it's been a little while since I've been in the dating game, but I'm trying to think back to when I was a little bit more active. Um, I don't know. I think as far as the like solo female traveler thing, I do think that there's a lot more that you can do as a solo female traveler than a lot of people have led you to believe. Like really, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's it's uh, part of it. It's like yes, there are dangerous things, and you do need to have a good head on your shoulders. But I think there's also just been a lot of scaring women out of being alone Mm -hmm. um, when they maybe doesn't necessarily don't have to. So I found um, just you know using the same precaution you would on any day of just being smart and having a good head on your shoulders and being reasonable and telling people where you're going and having a plan and, and stuff like that, um, worked for me anyway, you know? And of of course it's, of course there's always going to be like shitty, weird emergency situations that happen, but that was my experience anyway. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Well, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to, Make sure to share with our audience, since you have a potentially some new listeners, some new ears.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a question for the two of you, of sure. your audience. Like, do you find yourselves that you get a lot of people listening who are brand new to non-monogamy or people who've been in the scene for a long time, or, or like? I think back? It's,
1: actually, it's actually a wide range.
2: Okay, but we we do get a lot of a lot of like yeah we're you know we get some emails with people who are like we're not even non-monogamous but your show's super fascinating or Mm. or we got one the other day that was we're not non-monogamous but i hope we are soon and (laughs) we're using using your show as a a way to learn about all the different Mm. ways people do it because it's i love that it it's a it's a wide breadth of like one week it's relationship anarchy and the next week it's straight up swingers with no, uh, you know, no, uh, partners outside, you know, whatever, you know, no, yeah. no love, you
1: know, <laughs> they have
2: no love in their hearts. They have no love in their hearts. So jeez,
1: jeez. That was a little harsh. <laughs> we,
2: I'm, the point is we cover the whole spectrum. And so I think it, yeah, I mean, and we, we also get people who are, yeah, we've done it this way forever and. We heard about this thing and now we're changing the game a little. So it's wow. yeah, it's yeah. It's a wide range. So it's it's yeah. super exciting because you never know when you get an email and you open it, you never know what it's gonna say.
0: Oh yes. gosh. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm sure you <laughs> yeah. know that as well. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's so funny. People send over their life stories, you know, yeah. and it really is at the very least fascinating reading, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, my impression. Over the past few years, especially as I consume more content, as I meet more people, as I go to more in-person meetups and things like that, that every time I think I've seen all the possible ways of being non-monogamous, someone comes along with something I've never seen. Uh, Good, bad, healthy, unhealthy, you know, that I'm constantly surprised uh, the more people I meet practicing this, which is great, which is fantastic. For sure. I think it's why it makes it so dang hard for representation to be a thing because inevitably someone f- doesn't feel represented, you know, know, in their style of non-monogamy. But, but yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. Cause I think like I was saying earlier in the interview that when I was starting out, it was just like so limited what models I even had or role models. And so to have yeah. such a wide variety, I think that's going to be something hope like that i hope would empower people and i hope would empower people to feel like they have choice yeah. you know um yeah
2: well yeah. we appreciate that and and thank you you know to to you and and obviously the rest of the the multi-amory team for mm. putting other sex positive content out there and it's you know every approach is someone's gonna relate to it and mm.
0: we're, we're happy
2: yeah that you know that you guys were willing to come on the show and
0: yeah definitely
2: share it with us so and we'll definitely
1: put links to um the multi-emory show and Mm -hmm. everything all contact information in the show notes so
2: are there are there any personal plugs you want to give for yourself i know you mentioned you do some relationship coaching or yeah
0: yeah 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 so i've been doing coaching with clients for three or four years now um Yeah. So people can check out my book. My book was published in 2017. It's called The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory. You can find it on Amazon, or you can find it if you Google my name, it'll be probably be pretty easy to find. I also do one-on-one coaching with clients. So I work with singles, couples, triads, polycules, the whole shebang, as it were. Um, I work with people who are wanting to open up their relationship or people who've been non-monogamous for a long time and are just tackling personal issues or people who have been open and are now interested in closing their relationship. Um, So just a wide variety of, uh, of, you know, situations that I handle. And so definitely if people are looking for any kind of guidance in that, definitely recommend that they uh, reach out.
2: Awesome. Well, we'll, again, as Emma said, we'll put links for everything you have to offer in the show Mm -hmm. notes and we'll make it easy to find for people. Mm -hmm.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for listening to me gab for like an hour. No, we're
1: it's, it's,
2: you know, people always say, uh, sorry if I talk too much. Well that's the whole you, point. If you don't talk the whole it's, point. it's yeah. pretty boring. So. It's not <laughs> a appreci- good show. <laughs> so we appreciate it and and thank you for your time and uh have a wonderful hot Singaporean
0: day. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Welcome how
2: does that, that workout?
1: <laughs> Listening. Actually, you could listen to Dedeker's while you're working out.
2: Yeah, you could. You'd have Although, Sean T yelling in it your It would be ear. hard
1: to do while you're doing uh, Sean T or Tony Horton or something on Beachbody.
2: Tony Horton's my man crush. <laughs>
1: I know. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Dedeker. <laughs> we got a little distracted here, but uh, thank you, Dedeker, for coming on the show, sharing your story. We really appreciate you sharing with us and spending the time to record with us.
2: And, and for creating your own content as well. And to the rest of the, pol- the not polyamory team, she's she's on team polyamory. Yeah. The rest of the multi-amory team for all of the work they do. It's, yeah, they it's have lots and content. lots of episodes. Go check them out. And hey, check us out next week.
1: We have an interview with Casey and Laura.
2: That's great. It's actually Laura and Casey, but
1: okay, close. You're, right, you're, you're right. Close.
2: What do you want to say about him?
1: I'm not going to say anything.
2: All right. We'll make sure everybody's here next week.
1: Super fun story. Come back in a week. And we'll see y'all then. Happy New Year.